copy of God's Word, please, and turn in the Old Testament to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, one verse for our text, and then we're going to look at several other verses from the Bible. These are ancient words. So when you find Jeremiah 1, 5, join me in standing, please, as we show our respect for the reading of God's Word. And this is the Word of the living God. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. May God add his blessings to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Now these words were spoken to a young man named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah had a very difficult task. There are two books in the Bible that Jeremiah penned. This book, the book of Jeremiah, and the book that follows it, the book of Lamentations. And the word Lamentations is a good word for that book. Because Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He was weeping over his nation. He was sent to a nation under judgment. And so for all of his life, Jeremiah had to see God pour out wrath on his own beloved people, on God's own people. As we've looked in the last several weeks, we've looked at ancient words about debt, ancient words about Israel, ancient words about marriage. And today we come, I think, to the most important ancient words, and those are ancient words about life. God tells us in his word everything we need to know. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit as Christians to help us interpret the Word of God. The same Holy Spirit that inspired holy men of old to move and write down these words and the same Holy Spirit that preserved these words for us now comes and infills us so that we will understand them. And I don't think there's any more important issue in this election than the issue of life. And by life I mean protecting the unborn and allowing God to be the one who decides when life shall end. Because if you look at the candidates, one candidate clearly stands for pro-life. I didn't say pro-choice, I said pro-life. In fact, I don't like pro-choice. Uh, pro-choice does not give the baby a choice. Uh, why don't they call it pro-abortion? I'll tell you why, because pro-abortion sounds horrible. They don't want to be known as pro-abortion. They say, oh, we're not really for abortions. We're pro-choice. Well, I want to tell you, I am pro-life because God is pro-life. God is the one who decides when life should come. You know, this past week, I've had a lot of time to reflect on the blessings of God during my life. And I will, I will admit, I had a little pity party the other day. Now, I appreciate Joe coming by my house. He came by and... and uh, who came with you, Joe? My mind. Tony, Tony Griffith. Joe and Tony came by my house, and they fixed me up a television in the floor. I mean, I've never watched television in the floor. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, I'd lay in the floor and look up at it, but, I mean, it was in the floor because I had to sit like this. And I would sit like this, and Mary would say, you're not looking down at the floor. And I would say, Mary, I'm looking at the floor. And she'd say, no, you're not. And I said, I'd say, yes, I am. And she says, you have no neck. And I said, that's the way God made me. 
You know, he did it. I didn't do it. I have no neck, but trust me, I'm looking at the floor. And so uh, I did pretty good. And then, and then one day I started, I got sore in my neck and started having a little pity party. And, and, uh, and, and uh, so when I started having a little pity party, God took me to the woodshed. And then Mary came in, and I told her what had happened, and Mary took me to the woodshed. <laughs> and I got right with God after both those woodshed experiences. And I had time to think about my life, and I had time to think about some of the greatest blessings I've ever had. And I never will forget, we were a young married couple, and we were having our first child. And I remember one night, we were lying in bed, and Mary said, come over here. Well, she didn't have to ask me that twice. I, can't, I scooted over there, and she said, put your arm around me. I said, put my arm around her. And she said, put your hand right here. And I put my hand around my wife. And I felt our unborn son kick my hand. And uh, that was one of the sweetest experiences of my life. And I thought, what a blessing that is to realize that Mary and I didn't make that baby. God, Mary, and I made that baby. And when God made that baby, God had a plan for that baby's life. And God wanted that baby to know him, and God wanted that baby to serve him. And I thought, what a blessing that is. And so this week, as I've thought about all the blessings of life, my heart's also been broken. Because nowadays, children are aborted just because they're not wanted. It has nothing to do, has nothing to do with the mother's health. That has always been a health issue, not a moral issue. If the mother dies, the baby can't live. That is a medical issue. And the sad, sad thing is about 99% of the abortions that take place today in America are abortions for convenience sake. And nobody can speak for that little baby. Oh, they have the National Organization of Women to speak for the women. And they speak loud and clear. And they get a lot of money. And they spend a lot of money supporting abortion rights. But they have no defense because God said, I created you in your mother's womb. Notice what James Kennedy said. James Kennedy said, I would like to discuss with you what is probably the most important single moral issue of our time, the matter of abortion. It has been called by numerous writers the American Holocaust. This topic deals with a matter of vast importance. It deals with the matter of life and death. Dr. D. James Kennedy is now with the Lord. But oh, what a champion he was for the rights of the unborn. Dr. Jerry Falwell now with the Lord. Oh, what a champion he was for the rights of the unborn. We don't hear a lot about it nowadays. There are people like Charles Stanley and there are people like Chuck Colson who just died and went to be with the Lord last year who were strong, strong opponents of the pro-life movement. But many preachers are silent about it today because it's not politically correct to speak against abortion. It's one of those issues that a lot of people have just given up on. They say, well, it's really, that's not a moral issue. It's not an ethical issue. It's a choice issue. No, it's not. It's a right for an unborn baby to have someone speak in their behalf. The Bible teaches us that God 
is the giver of life. Notice he said to Adam, and by the way, uh, if you're here today, I want you to feel good about yourself, okay? I don't want you to leave here with a poor self-image because God made you. Some of you are too young to remember Ethel Waters. Ethel Waters used to sing for the Billy Graham crusade, his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And Ethel Waters would get up and she'd start giving her testimony before she'd sing. And she'd say, now I want you folks to know that God made me and God don't make no junk. I love to hear her say that. And her heart resonates in mine today. God does not make any junk. If you're here today, you are a person who has a meaningful life as Adam did. Notice what God says about Adam. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. The words breathed and breath are the Hebrew word ruach, and it can mean uh, wind or breath or spirit. In fact, the spirit of the living God is a ruach of God. And so what happened is, and the Bible says it, and, I, and listen, young people, you can believe the word of God. You don't have to believe that uh, evolution is true. You don't have to... To, to, to be considered a moron to believe that evolution is a lie because the Bible very plainly says God created man in a special way. The problem with evolution, first of all, is it's still a theory. Never has been proven. In fact, it's been proven false. Nobody's evolving anymore. There's no more evolution of species. There never was. Evolution is a lie from the devil. God created man in his image. In evolution, where does God put his image in man Nowhere because God created man and God created you. I want to tell you, God created you to be you. Nobody else can be you but you. God created you. Even if you have a twin, that's not you. That's your twin. God created you. And so God created man and so man would have a special life. God himself breathed life into man. We're never told that God breathed life into any other animal or mammal or any other creature he breathed life into man because man was a special creation of God and so to Adam God gave life and then to Jeremiah he said before I formed thee God had a plan for Jeremiah and then to Isaiah God said thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb which will help thee you see, not only did, did God make you, God says, I'm not a, you're the creator of your life. I'm the helper of your life. And I hope that you've come to a point in your life that you realize you can't make it without God's help. You might function in this world, but you can never overcome the world without God's help because just as Adam sinned, all of us have sinned. And that's the real cause of abortion. Abortion is a sin. It is murder. It is the taking of an unborn life. By the way, do you know what the Latin word fetus means you go back and study it in latin the word fetus simply means an unborn child it does not mean that it is not a human being it just means that it is a child that has not yet come out of the womb that is all that a fetus is but it is not certainly just a mass of protoplasm or tissue it is a human being god said to isaiah i'm going to be your help and then notice what God said to Amram and Jochebed. Now, I know you all know who they are. Uh, you're on a first-name basis with Amram and Jochebed. Well, you ought to be because they were Moses' mother and daddy. If you remember, at the time, they didn't do abortions, but the 
Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, said, hey, these Hebrews are getting too many. We've got to slow down their birth rate. So what we're going to do is if it's a girl, we'll save the girl. If it's a boy, he goes into the Nile. And so he told the midwives, throw the boys into the Nile. But here's what Amram and Jochebed did. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months by his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. Now, the king commanded he must die, but they said no. Now, I love what uh, Dr. F.F. Bruce said about this in the commentary on Hebrews. He said, wherein precisely did their faith lie? Probably the statement that Moses was a godly, or in the King James Version, proper child, means more than he was a beautiful baby. We are perhaps interested intent or perhaps intended to infer that there was something about the appearance of the child which indicated that he was no ordinary child but one destined under God to accomplish great things for his people can you imagine where the Jewish people would be today had Moses not survived and then to David he said to David a man after God's own heart. He said to David in the Psalm of Life, Psalm 139, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. David, the sweet singer of Israel, knew that his life was destined by God. The Bible tells us that God is the giver of life. God gave you your life. God gave you your life as a gift to you. And what you do with your life is your gift back to God. And those of us who have been born ought to be able to stand up and say for the unborn who have no voice, it is not a choice, it is a child. It is a baby made in the image of God. In this election, the two camps are in polar opposite opinions. Somebody said, well, are you going to tell us which one of the camps is the friend of Israel? I want to tell you this, it's the same camp that's against abortion. Now, every now and then, I, a feminist will get on my case. That's all right. I don't mind feminists getting on my case. They can get on it all they want to. I don't even have to take a baby aspirin to go to sleep that night. Let them come. And they, these feminists, they'll say, Well, that old preacher telling me what to do with my body. It's not your body if you're a Christian. It's not my body. It's God's body. And said, what, know ye not that you are not your own? You were bought with a price. I'm not standing up here today because I'm saying what I want to say. I'm standing up here today saying what God told me to say. That I have been purchased with something more precious than silver and gold. I have been purchased with the blood of Christ, the blood of the Lamb, spotless, the blood of a Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, the blood of the Lamb whose blood will cleanse every sinner of all their sin if they'll call on his name. The Bible tells us that God is the author of life. But then not only does the Bible tell us that God's the author of life, the Bible also tells us that God is the one who decides when life should end. <laughs> now, I've already been born. I, 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 nobody can abort me. I'm not worried about me. But I want to tell you this. Somebody could decide to pull the plug on me someday. You say, are you, you, are you, look, it, it's the same, it's a different side of the same coin. 
If you don't respect life in the womb, you're not going to respect life toward the end of life. Say I'm sitting there and my, my eye is still bad, my right eye is still bad, and I got one eye, and somebody said, well, he only has one eye and half a mind. He's taking up space and taking up oxygen, and he worked all those years and put that money in Social Security, and if we just go ahead and bump him off, somebody else can have all that money. We can spend it on the national debt. You say, you think that could happen? I want to tell you, if you don't respect life of the unborn, you won't respect life of the elderly either. It's coming, folks. I'm not trying to stir up trouble. I'm just telling the truth. But God, by the way, some of you may not like this, but you need to hear it anyway. You know the only time God decide, said somebody else can decide when life should end besides him? He says when people murder each other. It's awful quiet in this church when you preach. You say, where is that? It's in the book of Genesis. God says this, whoever sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. And these same people that want to kill babies want to baby killers. They do. Oh, let's, oh, look, he had a bad life. We have, to, we have to just lock him up and feed him the rest of his life. The guy that, psychiatrist out at Fort Hood, the Muslim, that was supposed to help people, went in there with a gun and killed a bunch of our soldiers. I don't know what's wrong with our country anymore. You know what they would have done to him 50 years ago? When the sun came up the next morning, he'd have been against a wall and a firing squad would have punished him because God gave the government that authority. That's why if you want to get killed, walk down the street in Chicago at night. Walk down the street in Birmingham or Bessemer at night. Right even here in Pelham, we had murders in Pelham. Why? Because they know, oh, they're going to give me appeal after appeal after appeal and, and the worst thing that's ever going to happen to me is I'm going to go to an air-conditioned prison and stay in a room where I can get internet and college classes for the rest of my life. Folks, I want to tell you, God said he that sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. And when this country had that stance a biblical stance, we were a whole lot better off. God decides when life should end. Notice he said to King Hezekiah in those days King Hezekiah was sick and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt live and for thou shalt die and not live. I like that. You know, when God says thou shalt die and not live, that's kind of a double whammy there. Well, you're going to die and you're not going to live either. Now, he did say something here, and I'm going I'm to say this because you need to hear it. He said, set your house in order. You need to get your house in order. Some of you here today need to get your house in order spiritually. You know there are things in your life shouldn't be there. You know you're not doing things you should be doing, and you're doing things you should not be doing. And here's another thing, and I'm trying to be very practical here. Make your final arrangements. You take a great burden off of your family when you do that. You say, well, preacher, I'm just a young fella. You know, I've done more funerals in the last year for people younger than me than I have for people older than me. Now, one thing, I'm getting older. There may not be a whole lot of folks in the world older than me anymore. I don't know. But I do know this. It's always sad and tragic when someone who has the promise of more years of life, their life comes to an end. And it's even more tragic when their family is unprepared. Guys, and you guys are the ones that need to hear this, make sure you have a will. Make sure you have final arrangements planned. You will take a burden off your wife and children if you'll do that. I know that's not popular, but that's really what, Isaiah said to him, he said, set your house in order. 
get ready to die because you're not going to live. But then he prayed and God gave him more years of life. Why? Because God decides who's going to live and who's going to die and when they're going to die. But then he also did it to Paul. Paul said in 2 Timothy, For I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Now the Roman government executed Paul, but they did it. God could have stopped it. God could have overthrown Rome. But he didn't do it. He allowed them to take Paul's life as a prisoner of the Lord. It was Paul's time to die. Herod, a wicked king who persecuted the church in Acts 12, one of the most gory deaths ever happened. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Herod thought he would live forever. They had proclaimed him a God, and God said, There's nobody but me that's God, and on the spot killed Herod. God hates feet that run to shed innocent blood, Isaiah 59, 7. Our nation, because of Roe versus Wade, has aborted, and this is a very conservative figure. It may be as many as 60 million by now. But we know at least 40 million babies since 1973. This was not a law passed by Congress, but a Supreme Court decision. Some of you may not remember that in 1856, the Supreme Court made a decision called the Dred Scott decision. A black man, an African-American man, who was carried by his master into a free territory, sued to be freed because he was no longer in a territory that allowed slavery. And his case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And in 1856, the Supreme Court ruled that Dred Scott was not a human being and was not eligible to sue for his freedom. You say, what happened? Civil War. That decision was purged by blood. The Supreme Court was wrong in 1856. The Supreme Court was supremely wrong in 1973 when they ruled that an unborn child is not a human being and does not deserve protection. On the other page, I list here some action points. First of all, pray for a spiritual awakening to cause our nation to repent. Now, the folks that are pro-abortion certainly aren't going to say that. They like things the way they are. But those of us who know what God's Word says know that God is not pleased when innocent blood is shed. It happened in the days of Pharaoh. It happened in the days when Jesus was born, when Herod killed the innocents, and it's happened in our generation since 1973. God is not pleased. In every election, only support candidates who are pro-life. Two years ago, no, more than that now, several years ago, we had an election in Shelby County, and a friend of mine, I'm talking about a personal friend, I'm talking a man I've, we've sat together and eaten together, for a while he was in the ministry. He ran for a position. He was the only person of his party to run in Shelby County. And he called me up and he said, Mike, I appreciate your friendship and I'll appreciate your vote on election day. And I said, well, I hope we can still be friends, but I'm not going to vote for you. And he said, you're not going to vote for me? I said, no, I'm not going to vote for you. And he said, well, Mike, we've known each other since college days. Uh, we, we've gone on preaching tours together. Uh, Mike, 
I would consider you a good friend. I said, well, I consider you a good friend too, but I'm not going to vote for you. And he said, why not? I said, because the party you're, whose platform you're running on has a plank in it that says they believe in abortion on demand. And I said, I can't vote for you. You say, what happened? I didn't vote for him. What happened after that? He called me up and said, I appreciate your conviction. And he wrote a book. And he brought me a copy and gave it to me. I still consider him a friend. But I wouldn't vote for him. If my wife, and I love her with all my heart, if my wife ran for an office on the platform of a party which she wouldn't do, that supported, supported abortion, I wouldn't vote for her. I wouldn't even vote for myself. That's how strongly I feel about it. I cannot vote for a party or a platform that includes a plank which says we support abortion on demand. And then the last thing, and this is important, pray for and financially support pro-life organizations such as the Alabama Baptist Children's Homes and Family Ministries and Save a Life Shelby. And I'm going to say this, Anza Imani, because they're in Africa rescuing people. They had wonderful news this week. Somebody's paying the money to drill the well on the site where the boys' home's going to be built. That's, a, that's an answered prayer. You say, well, how in the world is Anza Imani a pro-life organization? They're trying to keep young people alive on the streets of Mwanza, Tanzania, who've already been born, and they're trying to get them to know Jesus so they can turn that country around. Amen. Folks, I want to tell you, we support it with our prayers. We support it with our voice. Let's support it with our money. God will bless you for supporting these pro-life organizations. And then always practice pro-life philosophy. This is tough. Because I know sometimes something's going to come up. Somebody's going to say, well, there's a couple. They don't need to have a baby. Listen. This is not just something we preach. It's something we very, very much have to practice. Every life is sacred. I really wanted to preach this sermon. Because God told me I can take you into the Holy of Holies with me. I don't know if you've ever had a Holy of Holy experience or not. I have. I've had several. First Holy of Holy experience I ever had was in a cornfield in Walker County. You might have heard of that experience at some time in a message. Second Holy of Holy experience I had was at a youth meeting at First Baptist Dothan when I was a senior in high school, and God called me to the ministry. Never gotten over that Holy of Holy meeting. I had a Holy of Holy meeting at a Valentine banquet at First Baptist Church Center Point in 1968 when my future bride walked into the room. And I thought, as I do now, she's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And God said, that's your wife right there. Now, it took her about two or three years to realize <laughs> that was a Holy of Holy moment, not a horror, horror house moment. What a blessing to me. Had holy of holy moments feeling our unborn children in their mother's womb. Had a holy of holy moment when Lily Grace was born. I even had a little holy of holy moment yesterday when Lily got in my lap and gave me a hug and a smacker. Those holy of holy moments are special. Had a holy of holy moment right here on this platform 
one Sunday when I was supposed to preach a sermon called God's Agenda. We got through with worship. God said, you're going to preach and mess this up, you're going to give the altar call. I said, God, it's Sunday morning. These people expect me to preach. God said, you're going to mess this up, you preach. God said, give the altar call. Gave the altar call, 45 minutes later, altar was full. Came to the 1045 service, I said, oh, God, we don't have near the people at 1045. We had at 915. Oh, God, what are you going to do? He said, you're going to trust me? I said, I trust you. 1045, there were more people here than had been here at 915. Some of you saw that. That was a holy of holy moment. I haven't shared this one in a long time. Right after I came to Pelham, phone rang in my office one day in the old white building, and I picked it up, Brother John Duncan. He said, hey, Brother Mike, how you doing? I said, I'm fine, Brother John. I said, what can I do for you? He said, I need you to do me a favor. I said, what's that? He said, we have some special workers coming to Shelby County, and they want to do a vacation Bible school for special needs kids. And we want to have it. You've got a basement in your church we can use. Kind of got The brick building was kind of new, and we didn't use it in the summertime. He said, can we have a special needs Bible school? I said, man, sure, I'll be glad to do that. He said, well, here's the other thing. I need you to pick up the kids on the van. And I said, well, Brother John, how many of them are going to be there? And he said, oh, five or six. I said, well, Brother John, I said, I'll do it. I said, let's do it. And so they brought the workers in. We set the rooms up. So Monday morning I go get the church van. And Linda, I know you're out there somewhere. I thought I saw Wes anyway. Maybe Linda's not there. Maybe a good thing Linda's not here, Wes. She's going to hear me confess this. I probably broke every risk management policy that had ever been written because I went around Pelham and Helene and I picked up six special needs kids. Only one of them was verbal. Some of them couldn't even sit up straight. Now, I mean, I would have to pick them up. And I had no training in this, but I would be very careful with them. Now, in those days, I was a lot stronger than I am now. I was young and healthy and strong. A lot of water has been under the bridge since then. <laughs> I picked those children up. I put them in that old white van and strapped them in those seats. And I had little children Sunday school songs on the cassette player. Some of y'all don't know what a cassette player is. <laughs> I had little Sunday, children Sunday school songs on that cassette. And we'd get in that van. And I got them all loaded up. And I, I got in and buckled my seatbelt, started to pull off, and God said, look back behind you. I looked back behind me, and there were six faces that were the happiest children I've ever seen in my life. Most of them couldn't speak the name Jesus. One of them was not verbal. All the way to church, he was going. You know what that means? It means I'm going to church. That's a steeple. And before I could put that van and drive and drive those children to church for a special needs Bible school, God said, these are my precious children. I gave them life, and I love them. And they are just as precious to me as anybody else on the face of the earth. And one day in heaven, 
these lips that can't speak and these legs that can't walk and these minds that don't function right will be transformed and they'll spend eternity with me and I love them and I want you to love them and every day I had a holy of holy experience taking those little children to Bible school. The next year, John Duncan called me. He said, hey, Helena's going to host it this year, but their preacher can't pick them up. (laughs) Would you pray about picking them up? I said, no, I'm not going to pray about it. He said, you're not going to pray about it? I said, no, I'm going to do it. I said, that's one of the biggest blessings I've ever had. Come into the Holy of Holies now. Under Roe versus Wade, every one of those children could have been aborted. But it wasn't a choice. It was a child. When I go to the polls on Tuesday, I don't have to pray. (laughs) I don't. I know what the values are. And I know who stands for life. And that's who's going to get my vote. And I'm praying that millions of other people for whatever reason, whether it's debt or whether it's marriage or whether it's Israel or whether it's life, will vote not what they want to do, but what this word says we ought to do. And I'm going to close. I love to close. We have special needs children in this church. We have people in this church who have siblings who are special needs children. I hope when you see some of those special needs children, you'll go out of your way to make them feel loved and to make them feel wanted. Because I can promise you this, God loves them as much as he loves me and you. And I'm looking forward to that day in heaven when I see those little faces I look back and saw in that rearview mirror, smiling and happy, and that little boy who's already in heaven, all he could do was go like this. And he's going to be walking on golden streets. And we're going to be casting our crowns at the feet of Jesus. But until then, we're in a battle. Support life. Because God is the author of life. And if you don't have eternal life here today, this is the most important thing I'm going to say. Don't you hear this message about life and miss this. If you're not born again, you'll never see those golden streets. If you're not born again, you won't see those little children whose lives were challenged down here in heaven having no challenges. 
And the only way to be born again is to admit you're a sinner, turn from your sin, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you do that, that's just the beginning. Too many times, it oh, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Listen, the job after you're saved is to become more like Jesus. And we may do a good job of preaching the gospel of salvation, but we don't do too good a job in preaching the doctrine of discipleship. And it's just as important. Are you closer to Jesus now than you've ever been? Is there something in your life that shouldn't be there? Are there things that you're not doing you ought to be doing? Make the right choice today, and then make the right choice on Tuesday. And God help us. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Lord, these ancient words are such a blessing. And Father, thank you for your promise that every heartache on earth will bring a hallelujah in heaven. Every tear shed will be wiped away. Everything we do for Jesus, we're blessed for not just here on earth, but we're blessed for in eternity. And may we be faithful serving you until you call us home or until you come for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation this morning.